0: Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hi, everyone. Tara here with The Mom Manual. I have an awesome guest today. Leanne Sherrod joins us from Austin, Texas. She has her master's in speech-language pathology, and she's the co-founder of Expressible. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: We are excited. We have never done a podcast about this. Can you tell all of our listeners... How you became a speech language pathologist? That sounds very important. And how you founded Expressible?
1: Yeah, I would love to. So, I'm there's a lot of speech language pathologists out there who had a personal experience that got them into the field. Either they themselves had a communication difference or disorder growing up, someone in their family experienced it, and that's how they found the field. But I didn't necessarily have that, I just was very drawn to communication as a concept. I grew up doing lots of voices and and accents around for my family being kind of silly, but when I got to college, I really kind of took a class on linguistics and found the side of the field that really is this one-on-one work that speech-language pathologists do with individuals of all ages. It really spans across life. We can work with a child from birth, We can work all the way into, you know, palliative care with older adults. Um, I definitely latched on to more so the pediatric side of things, really growing and developing a, a kiddo's ability to communicate from their, their most basic wants and needs, which is so essential and so human and such a gift to those more complicated thoughts that help us relate to one another as people grow relationships. Um, maintain those relationships. So uh, I kind of found the field in it from a little bit of a silly place, but um, really latched onto it and, and have since really had my career in pediatrics. I've done um, home health where I you know, participate with families in their home. I've done outpatient clinic-based work where all the families kind of come to you. I've done a little bit in schools, but uh, in 2019, we co-founded Expressible. Uh, myself, my husband Nick, and our two other co-founders, Spencer and Ryan. And we are a telepractice business for wow. speech language therapy.
0: Yeah. That was good timing, right? <laughs>
1: it was
0: good timing. Um, we
1: like to definitely share that it we were setting up for teletherapy well before the world kind of broke apart. Um, because of the power that it really has, it's something I can share more about today a big focus that we have is on caregivers, the caregiver involvement in the therapy process for speech and language, and also the ability to work with a kiddo in their natural environment, which is their home, because that's the most apt place for a child to learn. And family is the, is the perfect group of people for kiddos to learn from. So that's a big focus that we have.
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And is this, um, You know, when when I think of something like this, I think of um, maybe a child who's diagnosed with autism. But is this for atypical children? Like, who who, for anyone listening that's saying like, is this my child? Should look into this. What type of kiddos are you helping?
1: Yeah, we speech is really a broad, broad field. Some people think, oh, it's just speech sounds like R, and they can't say their Rs. Um, Some people think it's just about delayed talking, uh, but it really is quite wide. Um, it typically is when there's a communication disorder or difference that we're working with uh, a child of, of any age, or like I said, adults who maybe have uh, lost uh, an aspect of their communication due to a trauma, a stroke, traumatic brain injury, etc., cetera, um, Parkinson's, ALS, different things like that. But uh, on the younger side of things, we do often engage in preventative care. So helping equip families with uh, information that they can use on a daily basis to really help foster a language-rich environment where their kiddo is really going to grow a strong set of communication skills. Um, At Expressful, we we were able to do that and work with families one-on-one. In some other settings, like the public school setting, if your kiddo is getting speech it would be because there is a communication disorder or difference, not um, preventative in any way. But yeah, quite quite a wide scope.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for giving us a background and how you got into that. That that is really interesting because yes, I have always heard it was a um, usually a personal thing, like they uh, you know someone had a speech. Couldn't say they're ours or something to that effect, and got teased and said, "I'm going to grow up and help all these kids that were just like me." Um, but that's mm-hmm. that's really kind of a fun way to get into this. Do you want to jump in and start our first lesson?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I'm hoping to share some helpful tidbits for families of young kiddos or really any age kiddo that's looking to grow communication skills and, like we said, kind of foster a really language-rich environment. Uh, there are some pitfalls that families can sometimes fall into, so maybe working to dispel some of those. The first one I thought would be helpful to cover for everyone is just modeling speech sounds and language, and that sounds really pretty simple. And at the end of the day, it is. But there, you know, there are some places we can get caught up. You know, when we're start, when your kiddo is starting to soak in everything around them. They're, they're really going to learn everything off of imitation. So they see you clap your hands, they start to clap their hands. They see you make a block tower, they start to build their own block tower. Yep. Speech and language is very much going to be the same. They're going to soak that stuff up from the people who are around them. So the type of modeling that we do is really going to contribute to how easily they can do that. A good place to start for those really, really early communicators, so the ones who are not yet using words to communicate, but maybe they're gesturing, they're imitating those play actions, we can often start with modeling what we'd call speech sounds. And so those aren't necessarily words, but things like animal sounds, car sounds, train sounds, environmental sounds are less cognitively loaded than words themselves but they still have associations to them. So when we say the word book as you know as an adult person our brains are actually kind of running interference in the background on everything that we know about a book. It's going over flat, hardcover, pages, print, pictures, library, turn it's doing all that without us necessarily thinking about it, but there's really a lot of information that goes along with one single word. Environmental sounds are a lot simpler. When we say room, room and beep, yep. it's really only just for cars. <laughs> yeah. When and we say choo-choo, just for trains. <laughs>
0: what age are you thinking? You know, for anyone who's listening, what what age to start something like that?
1: Yeah, I'm hesitant to confine it just to an age because it, you know, again, early communicators, we could have it, an older kiddo maybe who developmentally is, is at a stage where they are also not yet using words. But this is really kind of, for, for the most part, generally speaking, before that 12-month mark, Because that 12-month mark is where we look for that first word to be said. But even still, past 12 months, as they're developing and gaining a few of these early, early words, we can use this as a as a tool to keep them imitating us, keep them accessing what we're saying as they're growing their vocabulary. So really it helps them kind of tie and start to form those early associations between one set of sounds that we say and one object that we're looking at. So Moo consistently goes with a cow and they might start to overgeneralize. Some parents ask us about that a lot. Like my kid is calling every animal that they see a cow. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> Super common. It's a little bit of overgeneralization that they're engaging in while they're trying to suss all this stuff out. So their brains are going, okay, every time I see something like this with four legs, I think it's a cow, right? But, oh, mom is always saying, woof with that one, not moo. Oh, now I hear her saying woof doggy. This is different. This is a dog. So they'll start to suss all that out, but we're helping them really draw those associations by, by keeping it simple. Yeah.
0: And would you say this is helping them talk sooner, lifelong speech variety? Like what's the benefit of, of starting this way?
1: yeah this is this is that uh, early support for for their understanding of how language works, uh, that that concept that each, again, like each set of sounds that we're saying has a distinct meaning and ties to a distinct object or action words. So we might even we could say the same thing about an action word like clap. when when they're clapping their hands and we model clap, they start to figure out what I'm doing, means that and mom is consistent mom or dad or caregivers consistently saying that word with that action so now I'm drawing the association and I'm learning to develop my vocabulary that
0: way got it okay no that that yeah. totally makes sense
1: and no go ahead sorry you,
0: you had a question no I was going to say just anything else along those lines for the first takeaway of modeling speech sounds and language
1: yeah the other kind of helpful tidbit that we share with early communicators. We share it in therapy for kids who are, you know, going, they need a little bit more support, but it really is helpful for any early language learner. We can sometimes be tempted to throw a lot of language, a kid's direction while we're trying to help them talk. And that's yeah. sort of an instinct that some caregivers have. And there have been a ton of studies that really do prove out the more often and more that families speak with their kiddos, the more likely they're supporting their early language development, but there's also an aspect to quality that comes into play. So to try to break it down really simply, if your kiddo isn't really yet using words to communicate, so they haven't started to say those first words, or maybe they only have a couple and they're figuring this all out. If they come over and show us a ball and we say, Oh, wow. What a big red ball. It's bouncy. Where'd you get it? Yeah. How on earth are they going to figure out that only one of those words, what they're holding Yes. and how on earth would they know that that's the word that they should imitate and say to kind of tell you about what they're holding. So if we go back, they come over, they show us the ball. Instead of saying that big long sentence, we can just say ball yeah. and we're making it Crystal clear that what we're both looking at, that's called a ball. So it's really about, we kind of advise this concept of operating at just one step above where your kiddo is currently communicating. So if they're not yet using words, try modeling single words. If they are using single words, then you can start to show them how to pair them together. Again, just one step above. So if they're putting their baby doll to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If they're not yet saying words, we could say night, night. If they are, if they're saying night, night, we can model night, night, baby.
0: Mm. So adding on just one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think of it like,
1: like little building blocks, like little Legos.
0: And for, for the parent who's concerned that their child's is six months and not making a sound or 12 months and not speaking in sentences. Do you have a general time frame, or is it totally different for every child?
1: We do have general timeframes because communication development and those milestones are universal and we would expect them to come in for the most part at around the same time. They have bands. So that first word mark, some kids might pop out the first word at 10 months. Some might pop it out around 15 months and that would still all be considered within normal limits, we would say. Um, But when we're looking at milestones like that, as we start to creep up on the upper range of the limit, Mm -hmm. that's when we might want to start asking, looking for professional support to say, hey, my kiddo's not yet meeting a couple of these milestones. Is it possible that they need more support in order to get there? Some children will, will just develop a little bit more slowly, but what we like to educate about is we're not usually big fans of the wait and see approach. And some, yeah. some pediatricians like to go that route, right? And um, we're not huge fans of it, uh, because that time is really valuable, especially between birth and three years old, kiddos are forming neural connections at a rate that would blow your mind. It's way faster than what adults are doing. Their brains are really sponging. And so if we get in there early, we're going to have better progress and better outcomes. So waiting and seeing is it's a tricky line to walk. And what I always like to share is go with your gut because caregiver instincts are usually pretty spot on. If you have a concern, you, I'm not saying you're always right. And, and that we should stress out all the time and be concerned about every little thing. But if a family is really feeling concerned that their little one's communication is behind the the best thing they can really do is, is, is reach out to try to get some professional support and touch base.
0: And that's start with the pediatrician who should then refer to someone like yourself.
1: Yeah. It can start with, it very often starts with a Lots of pediatricians are great. And we'll jump on those milestones. We like to, we like to reinforce that pediatricians are not experts in speech and language development. We are. Um, So you can also reach out directly to speech language pathologists at Expressible. We, we conduct free 15 minute phone consultations with families. So, and that is with a member of our speech language pathology team. So it's a clinician. And they'll be able to help field through some questions, get some more information and and help help really suss out if it sounds like something that could use more investigation with an evaluation, or if it's sounding like maybe, maybe things are going okay. And and we can just kind of share some helpful hints and then check back in a couple months if things are not kind of continuing to improve and grow.
0: Yeah. So I had this really weird situation with my daughter. Um she was born in 2012. And at the time she must've been about two, but she spoke incredibly early. Like at her first birthday, we have videos of her saying, I mean, speaking full sentences, saying everyone's names and it was my first. So I didn't realize, um, then of course I was worried because my second daughter, who also spoke incredibly early, um, didn't speak as early. And then my son spoke what I would consider average. And so I was like, there's something wrong with him." You know, you only know your own experience, but when she was about two, she went through this unusual phase where she would start stuttering really, really bad. Like couldn't even get a sentence out. She'd be like the dog. And we were like, what is happening? And so it happened for, probably a few days. And I panicked, of course. And then I was thinking, um, I, I think there's some language regression attached to autism. And so of course I thought it was, th- you know, first time mom, just everything. And so I brought her in and they did some playing with her and there wasn't a ton cause she was only two, but then mm-hmm. after a week it like subsided, it was the weirdest thing. So what, no. tell, tell, tell me if anyone else is going through that, what, what happened?
1: Yeah. I'm, and I'm sure someone else listening is, or has gone through that. Um, there it's, it's not uncommon for kiddos between the ages of about two and five to go through a brief period of what we would call developmental stuttering. And that is, again, they are soaking up more information than you can possibly imagine. Um, and sometimes, uh, our little speech systems can't always keep up with our little language systems, vice versa. Part of it starts to run ahead and you might start to see some of those um, disfluencies, I'll call them, you know, interruptions in their speech start to emerge. It's, you know, if you are concerned, again, it's it's helpful to talk to a professional, but I can say, generally speaking, when we're looking at whether or not something regarding stuttering should be addressed, there are some kind of red flags and green flags, yeah. we would say for those behaviors to kind of be demonstrated for a period of maybe six months consistently. And I know that sounds like a long time to be concerned. So again, if if you are concerned, go ahead and reach out, but it's, it's, it's not uncommon to kind of see a little blip come and go. And so try not to get too stressed if it's going on. If you start to see them notice it, A lot and become very frustrated by it. Or you start to see them react just other ways. You start to see their little face grimace or they're tapping on the table as they try to get their words out. If you start to see things like that crop up, I'd say get in touch with someone sooner because that can kind of indicate something more might be going on. Um, But sometimes they they just get a little ahead of themselves occasionally and it, it might just be a little blip.
0: Yeah, it was, it was really weird. And as a parent, you know, frightening, of course. Um, Okay, let's jump into the second takeaway.
1: Yeah, the power of waiting. This is, this is one of my favorites to work on in therapy, partly because it's really hard (laughs) for some families, even though it sounds again, like such a simple notion. And it's because, oh boy, do we love, Our kiddos, and we want to see them succeed, and we want to give them every tool that they need. But there is an aspect where waiting comes with helping grow their ability to independently do something. So, the first kind of aspect of it is if we ask them something, if we ask them a question, they don't answer for a couple seconds, that's okay. They're just processing through. Try not to be tempted to. Always do it for them or always answer for them. Even if it's not something verbal, if it's something like they're trying to open a little container and they they can't do it with their little cute hands and they're struggling, even if they get a little frustrated because growth, growth does come from some of those little frustrations, try not to jump in, try to hold back and wait because that's when we're going to grow some little moments where they turn to someone else and communicate something. So they're trying to open it. They're frustrated. Little light bulb's going to come on. They're going to turn to you, hold out the object. And that's when you can model something that they could say to you, help or help me open or open. We're creating an opportunity for them to learn because they are the ones who have the little light bulb moment instead of us just always kind of jumping in to do it for them and Kind of removing that opportunity. And the other side of waiting is again in, in modeling some of that language, we might want to give them a couple extra seconds to process it and try it themselves too. So if they are if they are communicating to you by gesturing, maybe they're reaching for their cup and grunting, maybe just one of those little eh, eh, moments, mm-hmm. if we just hold on to that cup for a second, Model the word cup and then wait and just wait. Count it feels really slow, but count to five slowly in your head. See if they process through, and then maybe have the light bulb that says, Oh, she wants me to say that. He wants me to say that. Let me try. Yeah, they might imitate cup. And if they do, wonderful, celebrate, give them the cup, say cup again. If they don't, that's okay too. Model cup again, give them the cup, and then try again later. And then that's perfectly
0: fine too. Got it. Okay. And this just popped into my head. Cause I did this with my kids. We did sign language. Mm-hmm. So I remember we did more. Um, what else did we do? I can't, I can't remember now, but there was a whole bunch that they did when they were really young. Is that something that you recommend or is as a, as a speech person, is that like, yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, no.
1: Let, yeah. Let's splash that one. Cause that's a really common misconception that using sign language or baby sign is going to stall the development of verbal language. Yeah. That is really unfounded. There's no research that says oh. that. Um, really what we can always do is pair baby sign with verbal language. And again, oh. we're just creating good, strong associations, but um, developmentally speaking, gesture and gesture imitation uh, develop and are able to develop before verbal imitation. And so we can really, uh, you know, some babies as young as six months will really be able to start figuring out how that gesture imitation works. And that can be a big help for families in reducing frustration, reducing some some tearful moments if their little one is able to communicate for more or open or cup or water and have their needs met before they're kind of developmentally ready to use that verbal speech. But again, we can always pair together. So if you're modeling the sign for more, we can always also verbalize it. it So they're hearing and seeing both.
0: Yeah. So that's a positive. I remember my daughter, she was six months old, my second daughter, and she would say hi at six months old. And people would stop everywhere we were because she was teeny tiny. And she'd say, hi, hi, hi. And I didn't. And she also would say snack, which is so specific. And she would reach for stuff. So I think she knew what she was looking for. She didn't say mama. She didn't say dada. She said hi and snack. Those were her first two words. And it was bizarre. And at the time when my old first daughter was six months old, she had probably 30 words. So we thought my second daughter was late. And I realized oh boy. just talked super, super early. Yeah. And then, like I said, my son started talking probably at 12, 14 months, right? Like yeah. what would be more normal? And and we thought, oh my gosh. So do you have any advice on parents who one talks really early and then the next one is eight is typical or late? Like, is that, should they judge against kids? What do you think for that?
1: That's a really excellent question. And it's it's a challenging thing to not fall into because my advice would be, no, try, try to not compare siblings against one another. Cause every, even though they're all your kids, every kid is different. Right. Um, and same thing with even kids on the playground, it can be hard to see because we, you don't, you don't know really what's going on with them. They could also be very um, advanced for their age group, and then you could also have a neighbor kiddo who who might be a little bit more behind. So gauging against other kids, it can be, I'll say, both helpful and kind of harmful. If it can kind of, you know, if you're on the playground and it's seeming like all the kiddos are are looking a little, you know, seeming a little bit more ahead, and you're concerned about it, again, I would encourage kind of turning to turning to some research on the milestones, um, some resources, there. turning to the pediatrician, not trying not to jump too far to conclusions and fall into that rabbit hole of, of worry. I know that's a lot easier said than done, but, um, yeah, it's tough to, to have one kiddo who is advanced and then it makes the other kiddo look like they're behind, but they're just, they're going at their own pace and that pace is, is, appropriate for them. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I would say now my three oldest are so close, um 7, 8, and 9, and I thought it was a correlation to intelligence, but I would say they're all pretty much equal and within school and the, the grades they get and the aptitude mm-hmm. abilities to pick things up. So would you say that early speech is an indicator of intelligence or not related?
1: Um not necessarily, not necessarily. They uh they, they can, they can kind of cognition and, and language do go hand in hand and inform each other. And, um, when we're assessing, you know, at, at the school age, if we have concerns about academic development, uh, when we're assessing, they, they will very, they will almost always undergo speech and language testing at the same time as maybe learning disabilities testing, because we do want to suss out if, a language disorder is underlying some aspect of their reading or their math language comprehension because they they do tie together. But um, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would not necessarily jump to saying my kiddo is a genius because they, you know, I mean, they all are. I mean, literally, they're all little amazing sponges, every single one of them. But um, same thing, if, if your kiddo is a late talker, that does not mean that that they are going to have difficulties with other aspects of learning.
0: Yeah. So I think this is a really good segue into our next and final takeaway. Do you want to share that one?
1: Yeah, when when to seek professional support. And I kind of
0: chimed in on it a, a few
1: times already here, but there is just mountains and mountains of evidence that tell us that early intervention for Really, any need, but speech and language needs is the best opportunity that we have to achieve our best outcomes and, and make our best progress. And that has a lot to do with what what kiddos are capable of at that young age group. Like we said, the speed at which they're forming forming neural connections and really setting up a foundation for for more advanced skills in the future. Um, so, all those things I mentioned, if 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 your caregiver gut tells you that maybe you have a little bit of a concern, it's a good opportunity to just bring it up with the pediatrician or reach out to a speech language pathologist. If if you're particularly reading something on milestones and and it is starting to flag up in a larger way, again, the the best thing that we can do is just try to get them started early. The flip side of that, I'll also say is it's never too late. I want to stress that as well parents shouldn't feel like, Oh no, I missed the butt. I missed the boat. And, and now we're stuck. That's never the case. The door is never closed. The windows are always open to, to get a kiddo's support that they need. And it also isn't just in the youngest age group yeah. because speech and language, again, it's all developmental. So if your kiddo is six, maybe they've been great at forming sentences and answering questions and having conversation, but maybe we start to notice "Hmm, their speech isn't as clear Hmm. as I would expect it to be for a six-year-old. And really by about age four, we anticipate being able to understand roughly a hundred percent of, of what kiddos are saying. Um, You know, when a kid's two, if we only are catching about 50%, that that's appropriate by three, you know, 75%, which still leaves room for error. But, you know, so some of these aspects, it's not only in that birth to three age group, it can really be at any point in their development. Right. And just the sooner you're feeling some kind of concern, the sooner getting started will be better. Like I mentioned, we Expressible has the consultation phone call. You can speak with uh, a certified and licensed speech language pathologist and talk through some of those concerns. Um, get set up for an evaluation if it if it's sounding like that would be warranted and beneficial. Um, but like you mentioned as well, talking with the pediatrician to kind of trigger trigger
0: down that path is there as well. Yeah. And, and you're typically at the pediatrician almost every month for that first year, at least. Yeah. You're going in. Um, is there any kind of maybe red flags or common things that is like, I don't know. I mean, my son wasn't saying his R is very good. And we were worried and we asked the pediatrician. They said no until they're seven or eight. But is there some common things that are flags that maybe sometimes parents miss or don't know about? Or you know, just for anyone who's listening, saying, Is this my child? Is it not? Is there any more common than other things that come up?
1: Um, well, first of all, I'll chime in and say seven or eight. That's that's okay. Again, the windows never close, but yeah referencing back to what I said, our, our speech sounds for the most part, more like age six is a, is a good early stage to, to jump in on things. Um, I don't know, not to be a, not to be a communication, no at all, but no,
0: no, I love that. And he, he is, this was, this was probably when he was in kindergarten. So he speaks clearly now, but, um, yeah. I was really surprised because at the time he was I guess 5 and I thought he should be and again I'm just looking at the lens of my daughters who both were speaking clearly at a year old um, um that he should be And in, in, I do feel like he still has a little he's seven now a little tiny bit um but I think he actually has something with his the way his mouth is his mouth is a little bit I forget what the dentist described it as but I think when he was older he'll need to get it like like his jaw is like a tiny bit off. Is this is this something you've heard of?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um if I'd have to ask more questions. We need to, <laughs> to, we need to get a consultation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, or you know, oral uh, orofacial structures can play a role in speech sounds. Um, you know, orthodontics, palate. Yeah. yeah, when those teeth pop out, um, jaw position, open bites cleft palettes, lots of things can play a role, certainly, because that's where all those speech sounds come out of. Right. Um, yeah. So you asked if there were certain red flags that are more common than others. Yeah. Tr- tricky to say some are more common than others. There are areas that are more commonly, um, that more commonly need support than others. So speech sound disorders are pretty prevalent in the population for kids. It's really, it's about one in eight children can have a speech sound disorder that's identified before age six. Yeah. And so, you know, families know, please know that you're, you're not alone. Your kiddo uh, is not um, you know super behind if they have a speech sound disorder, it's pretty common. Uh, so those, those are those come up a lot uh, as a red flag. Again, um, I, I can mention so two years old, we should understand about fifty percent of what they say. Three years old, about seventy five percent. Four years old is when we should start looking to understand one hundred percent of what they say. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all of their speech sounds will be perfect. So when you say "I want the red ball," yeah. an adult brain can figure out, "Oh, he wants the red ball," right? But um, Developmentally, those speech sounds, yeah, should, should be pretty solidified around age, age six to seven across the board for all of those speech sounds in English. So that one's very common. And then language delays and disorders are also very common. So past that young age group, uh, receptive and expressive language disorders can, can look like kiddos who have trouble following directions, following multi-step directions, Understanding and answering yes, no questions, WH questions, telling stories in sequential order, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and some social skills. Also, speech language pathologists work on social pragmatics, which is how we learn to change our message with different audiences and kind of engage socially um, in communication exchanges. Um, Some kiddos might have trouble staying on topic or Changing topics in a way that that makes sense to the person they're talking with. So there's lots of areas that can come up. Voice, some kiddos have uh, they develop maybe some some raspy voice or some vocal pathologies depending on how they're using their voice. Stuttering and fluency, those are those are some big areas that might stand out to a family. But the first two I mentioned, speech sound disorders and language, those are the most prevalent in the in the general population.
0: Most common. Okay. And we're over time, but one last question because this is such an interesting topic. During COVID, I had read something that because of the mask and the teacher wearing the mask, kids weren't able to pick up on the mouth movements. And so for those younger, four, five, and six, that the one in eight speech sound disorders had gone up to like one in two, something like Mm -hmm. that. Is there Mm -hmm. validity behind that in your in what you've seen in your practice?
1: Yeah. So the, the evidence behind the impacts of COVID and the mask wearing and and everything, both speech sound wise, there's a lot of evidence looking through to social impacts for kiddos. Um, there's definitely validity I'll say, but you know, studies are, studies are really early on. We're, we're sussing through that information kind of right now. Um, but, Yes, it makes very much sense. (laughs) That's not, that's not a good sentence. It makes a lot of sense to say that without that visual input, kids would have a harder time again, imitating and developing those speech sounds. Hopefully if they were able to, to, you know, when kids are able to spend some time at home with their families with, with masks off and parents are talking with them, They had that input to to keep trying to suss through. There are certain sounds that rely really heavily on the visual aspect. Some early developing sounds like B and P and M, it's really easy for the kid to see. The reason R is such a hard sound is because it's not an easy sound to see. Um, It's really auditory, that sound. so, yeah, there, there's lots of evidence coming out. Um, it, it very much could be the case that we see kind of a spike in the need for communication disorder support yeah. based off of some impacts from
0: COVID. COVID, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, COVID. <laughs> All right. We will jump into our fire round. So, it's yeah. just, uh, some fun questions, just whatever is on the top of your mind. Um, so, what are you currently binging on TV?
1: Oh, man. We, we just finished part one of stranger things the the fourth season and it was, it was really good. We kept commenting that it's felt a little bit more, felt a little bit more violent and gruesome than the previous oh, no. season. Well, they have to up
0: <laughs> it every season. I I've never yeah. watched it, but I keep hearing people talk about it. Yeah. Um, what is the most recent book you've read? The
1: most recent book I read completely was actually Expecting Better by Emily Oster. We, Nick and I are expecting our first in August of oh, this congratulations. year. So thank you. We're getting close. Um, so that's the most recent one I read. I still have to try to squeeze in her other book, Crib Sheet. And then I have another kind of her fun book on my nightstand that I haven't been making much progress on called the way of Kings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, for the new moms expecting better and crib sheet, um, what is your go-to productivity app?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I have tossed through a couple like Trello or Monday.com. We, we use a lot of Airtable. If anyone has heard oh, of that, it's sort of like, that. sort of like Excel on steroids, um but with some other aspects uh that can help with kind of productivity management and and kind of workflows and and things like that
0: interesting okay and then yeah. the last one is what is your go-to de-stressor
1: oh man i feel like i could use more of them um
0: <laughs> we we're a big
1: tv and movie family we, nick and i both did a lot of like theater and acting so we're okay. very we're very into that but um, I think recently it's probably been a, a go-to activity just to get out and about um, spend some time out of the house because, you know, the past few years have been hard. We're here in Austin. So luckily the weather lets us be outside a lot, walking with our, our dog. And I think getting, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been de-stressing to take the opportunities away from work to plan for for baby. We're moving into a new house, kind of it's really fun to pick out all the pink colors and decor and, uh, you
0: know, so yeah, yeah, we're just getting all the happy feels. (laughs) I love it. So exciting. Well, congratulations on baby. And thank you for being on the podcast. Where can everyone find you? Yeah. Everyone
1: can find us at
0: expressible.io And at
1: Expressible HQ on Instagram, um, we're on Facebook. We have lots of informational videos on YouTube, our YouTube account, all sorts of things about communication. Our site has a blog. Again, if you're looking for a resource to, to get some answers to questions, the blog's really great. Um, so yeah, check us out on, on any of those platforms.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.